Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, please? Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 1, and we looked at verse 6, which says that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we looked at how Jesus has taken care of our past through the cross of the Lord Jesus. We looked at how he is involved in our lives today, but also that he will continue to work in our lives and to mature us and to bring our faith to perfection when Jesus comes back. And so um, we ended the teaching on that verse last week. And um, so today I would like us to read from verse 12 to verse 26. And... um, Again, we need to realize that Paul is not dealing with doctrinal error in the book of Philippians. He is not dealing with the moral failure of people here like he did in the book of Corinthians. But he is speaking into the context of peace, of fellowship, And he speaks into the context of unity within the church here. And it's so interesting within the New Testament, whenever there is a command given to us personally, it's like given to the community of the church. And so when the English Bible sometimes incorrectly translates the word you, it actually means all of you. And so the book of Philippians is incredible how it speaks about how the gospel has affected you. But it, it, you know, in, in the American language in the South, and I lived there for six years, they would say, y'all, you all, y'all. You know, and so when you read the word you, you can add the word all, you all. You know, and so the Americans really, really got it right there. But it is so important that we understand the whole context of this book. So he speaks into community here and he speaks into the subject of um, us living together in peace and for us to support one another in love. And he says all of this revolves around the key thoughts of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that independent truth and that independent power that we bring our fellowship together in, that it hinges on. We we hang our fellowship on the wonderful truth of the gospel. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God in the book of Romans unto salvation for everyone who believes. And again, he speaks very, very strongly into these truths. We also understand that he's writing from his prison cell, whether it was in a home context, but we also know that every single day um, a prison guard was chained to him. And as we read the next few verses, you'll find out 
that this truth comes out where he is saying to the Philippian church, he says, when you pray for me, don't pray that things would just become much better for me. He says, don't pray for my felt needs. He says, pray that for the very reason why I'm in prison, that the purpose of that would be fulfilled. And the purpose for Paul was this, that the prison guards would get to know about Jesus. He says, if that is the case, leave me in prison. (laughs) Don't pray for my release. Paul was praying that he would be in Rome long enough so that the gospel could go out in Rome because Rome, as the old adage says, all roads lead to Rome. And that was true. Paul knew if the gospel was strong in Rome, then there was the possibility for all nations to come to know the Lord Jesus. And I kind of want to say this, and I hope it doesn't sound too arrogant, but all roads lead to Zug. All roads lead to the Christian church in Zuk. You can see I'm being very humble. I was going to say all Christian roads lead to the Christian church at lift. But I didn't say that. Maybe I intended it. But it is just beautiful because you know, it, what we are experiencing here uh, is the fact that so many people from so many different nations. The last time we counted, there were something like 37 different nationalities represented in lift before COVID. And it almost seems like all roads lead to lift in a very, very humble way. God placed this church and other Christian churches in this wonderful city so that people may find Jesus. The most wonderful thing is that virtually week after week, people walk in here and over a period of time, they find Jesus. And this was the whole intent of Paul's heart was that he would stay in Rome so that whoever would go to Rome to find their fortune, that they would actually find their fortune in Jesus. That was the very, very purpose of his life. And so in this context, we start reading from verse 12. And Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Isn't that an amazing statement? He says, my suffering, my inconvenience has served to advance the gospel. That's the key thought and purpose within Paul's life. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't throwing a pity party for himself. He was saying that what has happened to me, my suffering, has actually worked out to serve the gospel, the purposes of the gospel. As a result, He says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more proclaim the gospel without fear. He says, when people look at me and when people look at my my example, he says, they actually gain courage out of my experience. What an incredible man. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me where I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, two things that helps Paul here. Prayers of the people, number one, and the provision of the Spirit, on the other hand. So he said, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I'll be in no ways ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is the key verse for us to look at today. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. The paradox of Paul's life. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I love the character of Paul. He's very forthright. You know, he, he tells them that it is a whole lot better that he does not die now because um, they need him. You know, it's, it's, it's like people would say, oh, you know, is he not proud in saying that? No, he's not. He's just stating a fact that God has placed him in that position for that time and um, he's fulfilling the will of God and where we fulfill the will of God, others will benefit. Can you say amen to that? And that is what Paul is basically saying here. I'm fulfilling the will of God and if it is the will of God for me to remain here, he says, you will benefit. <laughs> Sometimes I... I, I struggle when people say, oh, it's not me. When they do something and we say, thank you, oh, it's not about me. It, 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 it's not me, it's not me. And I want to say, well, who was it? Paul says, it is me, but he recognizes it, that it is because he's walking in the will of God and because God has called him. And God has equipped him to do it and he needs to do what God has called him to do. So, uh, so it's not arrogance, it's not pride. It is believing that God has placed him in this place, not just for himself, but for others. Is that all right? Of course. Uh, I was walking in town and I met um, one of the husbands of a lady within our church. And we stopped and we talked and we talked about COVID. And um, he said to me, oh, you know, you, you had COVID recently. I said, yes. He says, you've got your mask off as you're walking in the town. I said, yes. I am recovered. He says, yeah, but aren't you afraid of getting it again? I said to him, do you know what? No. I said, I do not live my daily lives in fear. 
I said, I'm exposed to people who have had COVID, people who haven't had it. I'm exposed to people who are vaccinated and who haven't from the very beginning. And I said, you know, God has called me. And as long as I walk in the will of God, whether I live or die, it's up to him. Now, can I have an amen on that? Now, honestly, you know, I cannot understand why we are so fearful as Christians about death, and it shows in our actions. I take every precaution. I've been vaccinated three times, just so that you could know. <laughs> I've had COVID now, so I've had this thing in my body four times. And in it all, I take every precaution, but I'm not afraid to die. <laughs> I'm afraid of the pain in whatever form it comes. But when that happens, I believe that God will give me sufficient grace to push through. Do you hold a similar view? As Christians, we should. It shouldn't just be me who's saying that. And so I don't believe that we need to walk around in fear. I don't believe that fear is not of God. Again, I say, let's take every precaution. Let's love one another. Let's understand where each and every person is at. Let's make provision for one another. My personal conviction is as, as important on the subject as loving other people. If I come to someone's house and they want me to wear a mask, I will wear a mask. I've got no problem with that because I love that person. I mean, and if they don't want me to, I won't because I love them. I am free in God to do that. People who hold other views are not free in God. You're not free. You're enslaved to your own preference. And Paul here speaks about fellowship within this passage of Scripture. You've got to understand this truth. When Paul says, and let's put the key verse on there, please. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, it is foundational to our living during this COVID time. It is foundational during every season of our lives. But it's especially foundational during this COVID time that we live in. And my friends, the most beautiful thing about this COVID period, it's over two years now, is that this church has been able to love people far and wide with extravagant love because we've experienced the extravagant grace of God. And I'm so proud of Love Church. We have experienced such unity that God's blessing has been upon this church. It's been not a great start to the year, yet it's been off and on. The regulations wasn't great. People have gotten COVID. We've had to close our services at times, which pains my heart. So it hasn't been great momentum into this year, but I believe the unity and the momentum that we experienced the last four months of last year is carrying us into this year until we have good momentum again, amen? And so we need to stand strong, we need to push into each other, push into Jesus Christ, and we need to understand that when Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die, he really meant it. Why? 
simply because he was in prison. His long life's desire to get to Rome has finally come about, but it's come about with him being uh, taken to Rome um, and put into prison, chained to a prison guard, as I said before. And as he is chained to this prison guard, Nero could send Paul to his death. And Paul could choose two forms of execution. He could either choose to be hanged, but as a Roman citizen, that was not the way that Roman citizens were killed. He could choose the other means, which was to be beheaded. And when you read the commentators, and they will say to you that Paul probably would have chosen to be beheaded instead of to be hung or to be crucified upon a cross. Because a Roman citizen was not supposed to be crucified on a cross. And so he probably would have chosen the other way. And so the impending death sentence hung over Paul's life. And so he says to them, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I remember in our previous church, we used to do many, many funerals because we had a, um, a large church uh, with, uh, with multi-generational people, a lot of young families, a lot of young people, a lot of young adults, and, but also a lot of old people. This church was over 140 years old that we led. And so we did, you know, a lot of the people were elderly also. And so we did a lot of funerals. And one of the most wonderful and inspirational times was, was, was um, having memorial services within our church. Because most of these people knew Jesus Christ. Their families would come in and some of them weren't Christians. And we could tell these families where they could find their loved one. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I could say to these families, and I would square them in the eyes, and I'd say to them, do you know what? I can tell you where your loved one is. Because Paul says, when you're absent from the body, you are present with the Lord. So I can tell you where your loved one is. I could also tell you how you can get there. And the way you can get there is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the wonderful gospel that sets us free from our sins, from our guilt, and from our shame. I said, there's a way to see your family again. But I had to be honest with them and said, if you do not go through Jesus, you will never see your family again. And the most beautiful thing is there were times when my two sons would be in these services that I do. And they were a part of the church with us there. And, and um, when they were there, I could use them as an illustration. And I could say, do you know what? My sons know that if I had to die today, there would be absolutely no doubt within their minds where their father or their mother would be. They know that we will be in heaven. And my sons can choose to see us again one day. Don't you think that that is a wonderful comfort to families? And so Paul says again, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain.
when we just look at the first point, which, which says that um, Paul, to get through the difficulties that he was involved in, to, to, to push through every single day, which I'm sure was difficult for him. Remember I said that the prison guards didn't feed him. They didn't give him the food. It was friends and family who would bring food to Paul, and that's the way that he would get fed. So if no one brought him food, he would actually die of hunger in the prison. So in his writings to the church at Philippi, he says, you know, thank you for your gifts in the past. But he says, you know, you kind of, and he's very honest, he says, but at times you didn't come through for me. I'm not holding that against you. He says, I've learned what it means to be content when I have a lot and when I have nothing, or just a little bit. But he said, I thank you for the gifts that you have brought to me in the past. So people would bring in gifts. And so when he was going through difficulties, it is this verse, this truth that helped him when he says, for me to live is Christ. That was his focus. My friends, whatever difficulty you are going through, whatever inconvenience you are experiencing at this time, if you live for Christ, his provision will be there. Whether you have a little bit of provision or whether you have a whole lot of provision, his provision will be there to see you through. Because when you live for Christ, he lives eternally for you. So Paul speaks within the book of Philippians. In chapter three, verses 13 and 14, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is there. I press on towards the goal for win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Paul says when we live for him, that it is a journey, it is a road that we walk. In no ways, when you read the statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, does it mean that it's an easy road. It is a hard road. But he tells us about it. If you live for Christ, he will walk with you. He speaks about anxiety on this journey when you read the book of Philippians, because he says in Philippians, chapter four, verses six and seven, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, the anxieties that I'm experiencing now, the difficulties, the change that I'm in, the frustrations that I'm experiencing. He says, in this journey with Christ, he says, deal with them through prayer. Deal with them by presenting them before God. Deal with them by thanking him for being in this situation. And Paul is such an amazing example of that. He says, but in Christ, on this journey, when we experience anxieties of all kinds, he'll help us through it. 
just speaking to my friend, Wayne, on Thursday, and, and it sounds like that his dad is going to die, but the assurance is that his dad will be with Jesus. No doubt. You know, and, and, and there was the sense of anxiety within our hearts. There was the sense of, of what's going to happen next. But the most beautiful thing is, because Wayne's father, Des, lived for Christ and found his position in Christ by trusting Jesus for his salvation, he is securely in the hands of his God. My friends, that does lift the anxiety. And then Paul shares with the Philippian Christians what is the secret to be filled with peace on this journey. In Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. My friends, it is not just an empty statement that we put on our fridges when we say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When we live for Christ, there is a key for us to experience peace in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering in this journey. And he says that we need to think on all of these things. Whatever is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is trustworthy, he says, Think on these things. Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine. So all the way through the book of Philippians, Paul is explaining to the Philippian Christians as they live with each other in community, he says, guys, this is a journey that you're walking with God, but with each other. Like I said last week, it is eight years that we've been here in Switzerland now. And We've walked a journey with God, but we've walked a journey with you. And it was so wonderful on Thursday as Wayne called me and said, I think my dad is going to pass away. That the journey that Wayne and I have walked for eight years, we could embrace each other in heart. We could say, Wayne, whatever you need, let us know why. Because Paul says in the book of Philippians, where we live for Christ, we also live for each other. And it's a journey. How's the journey coming along? on this level here with one another. Because this is what Philippians is about. It's about us, it's about the people, it's about the church. Remember, he addresses the problem with Judea and Sanctity, the two ladies that assisted Paul who were having a problem with each other and he says, hey guys, come on, rally around them and help them to work through these problems that they have with each other. He's talking about fellowship and unity. My friends, when we live for Christ, it is a journey with one another. With some of you, we've walked a long journey. Keith and I, we were just talking the other day. He went in for a hip replacement. Or was it a knee replacement? Hip replacement. And um, he, he arrived a couple of months, um, him and Liz, before we arrived. 
And we were just talking about the journey that we've had throughout the eight years and him just going through this, you know, we can say, hey, Keith, we're with you, we're praying for you. It's a journey, my friends. That's the most beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's given us each other, his body, his church. The anxieties, we can share anxieties with each other. We can share when our minds, when we struggle with it. Let me ask, you know, I think for pastors, one of the things we struggle most with is our thought life. For pastors. It's when we go to bed and when we've spoken to someone and they say something and because of our insecurities, we interpret it even incorrectly. Does that happen in your journey as well? Or does it just happen to pastors? Uh, you know, within the marriage relationship, uh, when your wife doesn't respond to you like you want her to and you go for a walk and you say, Man, what did she really mean by that? You know, and you start to struggle with your thinking. I was up two nights ago, you know, I think half past three hours awake. Boom, just like this. Jen's in Barcelona with Chris. And I thought, good heavens, what am I going to do now? I know when I wake up, I can't sleep. So I took the Bible out and I just started to read through the book of Philippians again. And I read through the book of Philippians again. And then I got to this passage of scripture where it says, hey, you know, um, Finally, brothers, and whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. And I read that, and it was this scripture that kind of came into my heart. And I just said to the Lord, Lord, it is so hard just to think about those things. That's, you know, for me, that's the secret of peace, is to make sure that we train ourselves. And it's a training thing daily, I think, for us to train ourselves for our mind to be disciplined, to focus on things which is true. Don't focus on the half-truths. Focus on the things that are true. You know, one of the things that I know is absolutely true, Adam and I work together every single day here together with Jen. And um, uh, it's taken us about two years, Adam. I would say you've been working for us now about two years for Adam and I really to have gotten to know each other. And, and he knows what I'm thinking, I know what he's thinking, and we don't have to say everything anymore to each other. Adam knows when to step in and do this and to do that. And so one of the things that I focus on is that which is true. I know that Adam's heart is fully and totally involved in what we do here at Lyft. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Now, that's a practical illustration of me centering my thought life in that which is true. My friends, we've got to discipline ourselves. It's a daily exercise that we need to step into to find the peace of God. My friends, you could pray for 20 hours every single day, but if you don't discipline your thinking, you're not going to experience the peace that you're looking for. It's not only spiritual whereby we gain peace, but it's practical. It's key for you and I to train our thoughts. And so when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, he actually tells us what 
that means. When we live for Christ, we will think about those things which are true. We will think about those things which are noble. That means those things which is on a higher plane than other things. Very, very important. Don't lower your taste for things in this world. Up your taste for things in this world. That's what noble means here. You look for those things which are about Christ and about his kingdom. Think about those things. He says, um, whatever is right. My friends, don't even talk with people about things that are wrong. It's so easy to dwell upon things that are wrong, amen? Even wrong within our own lives, we focus on our weaknesses. In that Christ is glorified, but he doesn't always want us just to say, oh, I'm so terrible, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. Now focus on the things that Christ has done within our lives. He says, think about those things which are pure. Wow, how powerful is that? Pure. The amount of times that are engaged with men and women and when they will talk about the problem with purity within their lives, within the Christian church, not outside of the Christian church. Purity, my friends, we've got to train ourselves when we're on Twitter, when we're on Instagram. You know, I, I, I'm on Instagram and I almost don't wanna go on Instagram anymore because Instagram is almost like a glorified post for porn, soft porn. Anybody go onto Instagram, would you hear me out? Come on, you would know that if you're on it. You know, and, and for men, those images on Instagram of women, my friends, we shouldn't be even looking at that. <laughs> go to Facebook, which is for the older people. <laughs> But I think you get this morning what Paul is saying when he says, for me to love is Christ. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. I, I just had a wonderful conversation with one of our junior youth. I got here earlier and she was already here. Her parents are involved in the service. And she came to me, she said, hey, we bought you a croissant to eat this morning. And so she gave me the croissant. She says, I just love your office. I said, would you like to go and have a look at it again? She said, yes. And we walked in and we walked into the office and she looked at the pictures and she said, that one against the wall, I absolutely love. And she started talking to me what this picture meant to her. You know, and I just thought, you know, think about those things which are lovely. Sometimes you just need to go and talk to the younger generation. See things through their eyes. You'll have a new and a better appreciation for those things which are lovely. And she says, I love that. She says, I would love to have one of those too. One day, I loved that picture and she taught me why she loved it. And I could tell her about a prophetic word that we got 
where we left our church, previous church in South Africa, and we came here, and before we left, a lady had a prophetic picture of a bridge that went from one mountainside to the other, and the lady said that as you cross over this bridge, um, what you have experienced here is good, but she said as you cross this bridge, it will even be more glorious. And I could say to this young girl this morning, this is the prophetic word that that person gave me. So when I look at this picture, it reminds me of God's word to me. My friends, why not rather dwell on that which is lovely, which is admirable, that which is praiseworthy? Paul says, in the book of Philippians, think on these things. Next week, we're going to talk about um, what it means for us to gain in life, that death is gain, and we'll talk about that next week. But I'd like you to stand, please, would you? This Christian walk, can the worship team come, please? The band? Next time I say, can the worship team comes, please, then all of the church comes. Amen? You're the worship team. This is the band. For me to live is Christ. It's key for you and I. But I want you to know that when Paul uses this phrase, that is what he gave his life for, for Christ, but so that other people can also live for Christ. And my friends, if you do not have Christ alive within your life today, then you can't live for him. And the way that you have Christ living in you is by recognizing that you're heading down the wrong way. And for you to want Christ, you've got to change your life around. The Bible calls that repentance. You've got to see that you are a sinner. You've got to acknowledge that your sin will eventually cause you not to go to heaven, but to hell. And that's a terrible destination. And Paul lived his life in such a way that he could tell people that their lives do not have to live or to end up in a place called hell, but that their lives can, for all intent and purposes, end up in heaven. For me to live is Christ. And I'd like to give you an opportunity today. If Jesus is not in you, and you will know that straight away, if he's not alive within you, if you're not living for him, the only way that we could live for him is to receive the wonderful free gift that he has for us that is only found in Jesus. Not in a church form, not in a church structure, not in a religion, but you find it in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father through me. And so as we start singing, if your life is not in Christ Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end to receive 
the wonderful free gift that he gives us so that we can share in eternal life in heaven with him. So let's sing together, please. Friends, let's pray two prayers this morning. The first prayer is to thank God for the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. And let's thank him for that. Father, as Christians today, we thank you that we could live our lives in Christ Jesus. Thank you that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we want to thank you for this life of faith in Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the joy that we have within this journey. That Paul can say that our joy, that he rejoices in the expression of his faith in the book of Philippians. And Lord, today we as Christians say thank you for the joy and the peace that you've given to us. But Lord, what stands out to us is the security that we have because Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So death and the results of death is even better than living. What a great security as believers we have in you, Lord Jesus. And we want to thank you for it today. Our hearts go out to those people, maybe in our service today, both on, online and here in the congregation, who do not have that security and that joy of eternal life with you, Jesus. We pray that through today's message, Father, and the worship that we've had and the praise that we've prayed, Lord, that they would have experienced you calling them into salvation. We pray that even now that Jesus, that they would hear you calling them by name and saying it is time. Father, may they turn to Jesus today. May they ask Jesus to forgive their sins. And may they trust Jesus for their eternal salvation today. Would you do that within their hearts? Lord, we cannot save. The church cannot save. Father, we know that it's only Jesus who saves. And we know when he does it, he does it fully and he does it well. And so we lift up these people before you. And as they cry out to you, Lord Jesus, now would you hear their prayers and would you receive them? And if you find yourself in that place where you're crying out to Jesus, asking for his forgiveness and trusting that he would secure your future in him, I'm just gonna lead you in this prayer to help you to make it final in trusting Jesus to become a Christian, to become a follower of him. A prayer to this effect. Lord Jesus, I come to you with my life today. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need you. But I've heard that I can't save myself, not even by being good or even being better, 
but I can only become a Christian by trusting you, Jesus, and by trusting what you've done for me on the cross. I believe that you died for my sins, and I believe that you rose up from the dead so that I can have life eternal. And so I put my trust in you today, Jesus, as I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.